Good morning, everyone. I hope your week was better than mine. Was it? Yeah, just give me the thumbs up. Was it a good week this week? <laughs> no, life kind of uh, all happens to us along the way. We are not exempt uh, or um, given a, a slip to say we get out of the rough parts of life. And uh, this was a rough week for me and my family, different kinds of ways, neighbor issues. Uh, my favorite uncle passed away a couple of days ago. And then all the COVID stuff. It's like coming into church, you're looking for that, that encouragement. And uh, that's what I'm hoping we'll find today through Paul. I'm, I've been studying the life of Paul as he's writing the book of Romans. And this is what our sermon series is about. Now and for the foreseeable future, we don't have an end date because we want to just take our time to work through this amazing book together. But I was thinking about Paul sitting in the city of Corinth when he was writing this book. And uh, Corinth wasn't a very, uh, what would we say, godly city. It was one of those cities in Greece that um, if anything uh, immoral happened, well, that's just his head to Corinth. It was, I don't know, they had all the, everything you wanted to get in trouble in, you could do in Corinth. And this is where the church was sitting, in the midst of a lot of uh, trouble and potential devastation to the people. And then Paul was looking through the, um, the known world where he had spent many years trying to plant churches throughout uh, Asia Minor. And he's, uh, I think he's just, he's worried. He's worried because he's getting news back from uh, people that are going out to these different uh, cities in Asia Minor, reporting back from churches, and he's not hearing great things sometimes. And if you look even into the book of Revelation, you'll find that Jesus, he's, he's giving a report card of seven churches in Asia Minor, some of the ones, very ones that Paul had been to and John had been to and encouraging. And he was troubled because uh, the churches, it seemed, were in trouble. Well, looking at the book of Romans, there's a famous saying that all roads lead to Rome. Have you heard that? Uh, it comes from, historically, a golden marker that was put in the capital, it's called the Golden Milestone. It was erected in 20 BC by Caesar Augustus. And every point in the known Roman world uh, was measured from its distance to that one point. So in actual fact, all of the roads, in fact, there was 400,000 kilometers of roads over which 80,000 kilometers were stone paved. Uh, that brought all of Rome's 113 provinces together. They were all interconnected by roads that the Roman army used to get their supplies and their troops uh, back and forth into the different provinces to maintain order. Thing. But these are the very same roads that Paul would have traveled with his companions as he's establishing churches. Why Rome? Well, Rome was the center of everybody's universe at this point. The Roman Empire, if you look at the Roman Empire as it stretched from England and Spain in the west to North Africa and Arabia in the south to Syria in the east and most of Europe in the north, the city of Rome itself was actually almost dead center of the entire empire. And it was the, the seat of influence and power. And so when you have a church there, it's going to be one of influence. And Paul actually wanted to used that probably as a home base as he went on past Rome into Spain. It was his goal to get to Spain, to be able to share the gospel, to reach new territories for Christ. 
Unfortunately, he ended his life and his ministry in Rome. He never did get to Spain. He wanted to protect Rome. So far, it was a fairly established and strong church. But as he looked through Asia Minor, he was getting reports that Judaizers, people that were going to the churches, trying to convince them that you had to actually become a Jew before you could become a Christian, or at least you needed to follow all the Jewish rules of circumcision and feast days, these kinds of things. You had, to, you had to practically live like a Jew in order to become a Christian. And Paul, in this book, is going to tell us, you know what, That's, it's so counterproductive. Christ didn't come to uphold the law. He came to fulfill the law. And we no longer have to follow all of these rules to be acceptable to God. These, uh, these the rules that the, the Jewish people had established uh, from, from Moses on until their Christ came. And so he's seeing that legalism was creeping into the churches in Galatia and corrupting the theology, saying that more than faith was required to be saved. These Judaizers were saying faith and follow the rules. Faith and well, work hard. And so he's trying to, in this book, establish the fact that, you know, the rules were good when we didn't have Christ because it helped us stay on track. Um, but actually, the rules are here to show us that no one's perfect and no one can actually ever match up. That's why we need grace. That's going to come into play in the book of Romans. So he's got the legalism on the one hand, and then in Corinth, you've got the immorality on the other hand saying, oh, we've got grace. <laughs> we can do whatever we want. We're saved. We're good to go. Let's have fun and live life and be merry. And uh, he's saying, no, no, you can't use grace as an excuse to do whatever you want. There's still decorum in the Christian life. There's still things to please God. And so he's got this legalism out here, and he's got immorality out here and freedom. He's saying, okay, Rome, it's coming your way. You're going to have to face these exact same things shortly. So let me ground you in the truth. He's worried because one by one by one, it seems like churches are getting off track. When he's in uh, Corinth, the book of Acts records in chapter 20, um, a speech he gives to the elders in the church in Ephesus. It's a warning. He says this, And behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit keeps saying, every, In every city that I come to, imprisonment and afflictions will await me. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And even from amongst your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. How sad. He knew that after he was going to leave, infiltrators would come in and try and corrupt the church, try and get the church off track. Now, Satan tried to kill Christ. It didn't work. Now he's trying to destroy the church one by one by one. And so it's Paul's heart to, to fortify the church in Rome to give them strength, to understand the important things that they're going to need to know when the questions arise. You know, it doesn't take very much to twist the truth into a lie. You just question a few things. You just 
put doubts in people's minds. You just oppose the leadership. You just do things to undermine the truth. And bit by bit by bit, people fall away. To the Galatian churches, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which was not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preached any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say it again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So he is going to infuse a lot of doctrinal and theological concepts into the book of Romans to help ground them in what they believe. So they can answer the questions. When their kids say, Dad, why do we believe this? They can answer. Why don't we believe what they believe? Because of this is what's true. The Bible itself doesn't need to be updated to fit in modern society. The Bible itself is not out of touch or does not apply in a modern society. It, it's, tr it's what people, people think that it doesn't apply. They, they don't want it to fit. They don't want us to reference the scriptures anymore. It's, it's offensive. You see, it's, it's constantly challenging what we stand on, what, what our foundations are. Anyone here know about TikTok? Okay, I see a few hands, a few nodding heads. Well, not long ago, uh, my, son, my son's about 21 years old, turning 22. A friend of his came and was, was quite agitated because he had saw this blonde 24-year-old girl saying that the Bible doesn't really mean what it says on TikTok. And of course, if you're on TikTok, you're an authority on everything, right? You, you know everything, especially at 24 years old. You're an expert in theology, and they were just disturbed because of what they'd heard somebody say. I can tell you right now, if you hear something on TikTok, read it in a book, hear it on a, a blog or on a radio interview, it doesn't mean it's true. But somehow we think that if someone says something with vehemence and with vigor and with uh, a great grandiose personality, that it must be true. Well, that's what was happening to the churches. Grandiose people were coming in and infiltrating and teaching another gospel, uh, perverting the gospel that Paul had brought, salvation by grace through faith. No, 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 you need more than that. That's the old way of thinking. Here's the new way of thinking. You see, time and time again, people challenge the Scripture. If it's on the Internet, in a book, on a radio, on social media, you know what's actually true? The Bible. Not everyone that questions it. Not everyone that says it's, 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 it's passe. It's just principles. No, it's truth from the beginning to the end. It was from Greek city of Corinth that Paul was writing this letter to the Romans. He was very intent on visiting them in the near future. He was staying in the home of Gaius, the, the host of the church of Corinth, and he had his scribe Tertius with him who Paul would dictate the letter to. I think at this point, Paul's eyesight wasn't so great. Uh, in one of his letters, he, he pens the last few lines, and he says, see, I'm writing, see with what big letters I'm writing this letter. <laughs> I think that's because he couldn't see the small letters anymore. So he had a scribe, he had a friend, and I think after 20 years of ministry, 
20 years since he saw Christ on the road to Damascus. He'd gone through a lot of hardship. He'd suffered in prison. He'd been beaten and been stoned. He'd been shipwrecked, floating at sea for days. He, he wasn't the guy he used to be. He wasn't intimidating. I think he was small. I think he was emaciated. I think his eyesight was going. But the light in his eye, the passion for the gospel was still there. He still wanted to encourage God's people, to teach them, to help them. In fact, he's going to tell the Roman church, I, I just want to come and give some gift to you. I want to come and encourage you when, I, when, I'm, when, when I'm with you. There's a coin. Um, they say it came from within a hundred years of when Paul and Peter were, um, were on the earth. It's a coin, I think we have a, supposed to have a picture of it. It was excavated at the Domitilla Cemetery, the oldest of the Roman catacombs, dating back to the first century. Um, it's a bronze medallion with both Peter and uh, Paul's likeness engraved on it. Um, they're looking old, and they're looking a bit grizzled. They're looking old with the years, uh, worn of traveling these roads, uh, trying to start churches. Well, let's look at Romans itself. Chapter 1, verse 1, starts off by saying, Paul. Paul. He identifies himself as the author. Saul is his Hebrew name, and Paul is his Greek name. So they would have used both names. He was born a Roman citizen in the city of Tarsus, where a world-famous university exists. Uh, he was born to a Pharisee. And he studied under a famous rabbi called Gamaliel, who was, was a doctor of law. He had learned the trade of tent making. He had uh, formerly been very zealous at eradicating Christians, killing them, imprisoning them, ripping them out of their homes and throwing them in jail with glee. But he was converted to the way by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. Paul describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. This word servant uh, is doulos in Greek. It means slave or servant. It can mean an indentured servant. In other words, a, a bond servant, which means that you tie yourself willingly and voluntarily to another person, to a master. You say, well, I know my life's good. <laughs> I kind of like what I've got. I wouldn't be any better off on my own. Uh, I am going to just be your servant for the rest of my life. And my kids uh, can choose their way, but I'm not. Paul is saying, I am that kind of servant to Jesus. I've given my life to him. I don't want anything else. I don't need anything else. Jesus is all I need. He says he is a called to be an apostle. He's a servant, and then he's an apostle. So the servant is willingly attaching himself to Jesus. The apostle is what Jesus does to him, gives him a title, gives him a role to play. An apostle is basically translated a messenger or a sent one. As Jesus said in Matthew 28, go therefore and, and, and make disciples He's sending. He's talking to the 12. He's saying, I'm sending you. You're going to have to be my ambassadors. You're going to be my messengers. Jesus himself called him to be an apostle on the road to Damascus. Uh, he was one of these uh, one-off guys. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He was a, an add-on. Uh, he got a bonus apostle. I think the disciples kind of jumped the gun when they replaced Judas too quickly because Jesus already had uh, Paul in mind to be an apostle to, the, to the, uh, the Gentiles. An apostle was supposed to be, first of all, an eyewitness to Jesus Christ and his ministry. 
He couldn't be an apostle unless we were in his presence. Also, an apostle had to uh, have seen him alive when he was resurrected, be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And also, to be an apostle and a bona fide, authentic apostle, you had to have the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. You had to, the people needed to see you doing miraculous things because God was working through you as, as his ambassador. So, in Mark, uh, sorry, in Acts 2, 43, it says, Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. It was God verifying, putting his stamp of approval on them as his messengers. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle. Then he says, separated to the gospel of God, which he had promised beforehand through his prophets and the scriptures. So Paul's giving us credentials for why he's believable. See, we really do need to, to de- decide how we are going to listen to people or whether or not they're bona fide, certified, authoritative speakers of truth. You're not going to find that generally on social media and on TikTok. You're going to find that through someone who, gives, who has credentials, who has training, who has the authority and the position and the experience to speak. And this is what Paul is starting off. He'd never been to Rome. He didn't know the people that he was going to, uh, that he was writing to. So his credentials are that he is a servant of Christ, that he is an apostle, that he has been uh, known to have the Holy Spirit work through him. He is separated to the gospel. His life was backing up his message. His reputation would have already gone ahead of him. And this gospel that he is separated to, it's about his son, God's son, Jesus. Jesus was the human name. Jesus Christ. Christ is the mystic title. Jesus Christ, our Lord, a title of royalty and loyalty which binds us to him. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He was marked out as the son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship. This was the essence of Paul's life. This is the Jesus who he he wants to preach and teach about and help people to understand and to have a personal relationship with. Paul's mission and his assignment for his apostleship. You see, every every servant has a role to play. And Jesus had a, a willing servant in the apostle Paul. Some of the servants in a household would look after the garden. Some would tend to the, the flocks or the horses. Some would be cleaning. They all had a role to play. And, and Paul's role was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That was his purpose, his function within the kingdom of God. He was establishing churches, preaching in the synagogues and wherever he could find an audience, and then he was going to disciple the people. Let me tell you, this year coming up is going to be one of discipling and equipping and grounding in the faith. Uh, Pastor Neil and I are talking through what it looks like to be a discipling church. We don't want to lose our next generation because of lack of discipleship. We don't want to lose our kids because we don't know how to give the answers to the questions that they have. And then he says in verse 8, it's kind of a verse 8 to 15. It's, it's, it, he's done the, the introduction, he's done the preamble, and now he's going to give them just a little bit of a, a hey, how are you? He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. 
They've got a reputation. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far having been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under no obligation, or I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You see, when Paul came, they got the rest of the, rest of the story. Oftentimes in churches, they only got bits and pieces from traveling preachers and traveling teachers and apostles that would come and stay for a while, but they didn't get the whole picture. And Paul was the one who came in to fill in the gaps. He helped them to understand what the whole gospel was about, not just a narrow portion of the gospel. Often we think the gospel is just the four steps to salvation. Just believe in Christ, repent, confess, and, and you're good to go. Well, that's, that's, that's this much of the gospel. The gospel is this wide. It impacts every area of our life. Then he says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Today we don't have ancient paved roads to travel across. You can go walk on the Appian Way. It's not far, just outside of Rome. But those aren't the highways we travel. The highways we travel today are the internet. We can go right to Rome with a Google Earth and we can walk the roads on our computer. We can get any information at any time on any subject on the roads of the internet. It's a dangerous place. It's a place that is fraught with other philosophies, other worldviews, other outlooks on life, other things that shape our mind and impact our heart and our soul. And if we're not careful, those highways are, can be a destructive force. How many lives have been ruined by Facebook and Twitter lynching mobs? How many teenagers have taken their lives because of cyberbullying? How many people have become addicted to porn or gambling or fashion or investments over the highways of the internet. So if Paul were sitting in the church today, what would concern him? What would he be writing to us to warn us about? I've come up with a few things that I think would really bother him when he's trying to ground the church in truth. First of all, I think he would warn us about secularism allowing the philosophy and the mindset of the world's values to shape us, trying to compete with the world as if the world was our standard. I think he would warn us about materialism, chasing after stuff that's going to rust and have to be replaced, things that don't matter, things that are just trinkets and toys for the most part. He'd warn us about universalism, some people believe that everyone will get saved one day. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus. God is love. He loves everybody too much to have a hell. Come on. Don't believe in that. It's not true. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. Universalism doesn't want to have a wrong way. 
It means that your, your truth is good enough, but my truth may be different. Well, let's just all get along. I can tell you uh, that not one of the apostles, well, with the exception of John, died a natural death. It's because the gospel cannot get along with the world. The world wants to snuff out the gospel and the messengers that bring it. I think he would warn us about our identity crisis. We're forgetting who we are in Christ. We are a new creation, a people created with purpose, a God-given assignment. We are ambassadors of the Almighty God and a risen Savior. We are not what the world says we are. We do not choose our identity from a smorgasbord of labels. We are who God created us to be and chose us to be and planned for us to be in Him. Our identity as people is found in Christ alone, first and foremost. I'm a, a believer, a Christian first, then I'm a dad, then I'm a husband, then I'm a father, then I'm a pastor. But I gotta be a, 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 in Christ first because that puts everything else in perspective. We don't self-determine who we are. We're not creatures floating through space, picking this or that. We are part of Christ's body, his church, his breath and hope for a future. Our souls, our eternal being, are meant to find our identity in Christ. Otherwise, we're going to be continually and forever searching and never finding. There is a research done by Lifeway, Christian Resources. They had seven dangers facing your church. I'm going to read a few of them. One, they say a danger facing churches today is loveless orthodoxy. In other words, believing right, but not loving your neighbor. Uh, loveless orthodoxy means that you have all the right theologies in place, <laughs> but you don't really love people at all because your truth is more important than people. And, um, you know, Christ didn't die for orthodoxy. He died for people. Believing that you alone have the truth and people must think a certain way or you can't even be friends. This loveless orthodoxy is black and white thinking with no gray areas. No compassion, no understanding, just follow the rules. I can tell you the quickest way, or one of the quickest ways to lose your kids from the church is to dump a bunch of rules on top of them as if that's what made you a good Christian. Trying to box them in with a boatload of rules so that they can't even hardly wait to rebel. And when they bristle, you show them tough love. That's loveless orthodoxy. Rather than living out the joy of the Christian faith and bringing them with you and understanding how God loves them and has a plan for their life and, and the Spirit of God can fill them and help them and, and empower them and protect them. It's, it's a joy to be in the Christian life, not a burden, not a bunch of rules to follow. And this is what Paul is trying to help the church in Rome to understand. It's not about the rules. It's about the grace of Christ and the love of Christ and faith in him and living a life to full capacity with him in the center. There's also a warning about the fear of suffering. Some people just, they have this, this aversion to pain or suffering or any kind of discomfort. They feel that they're owed uh, the, the wonderful Canadian dream of having a couple of great kids and having a good job and retiring early and traveling and having no health concerns. It's a, it's a dream, yeah, but it's not reality for most people. There's going to be suffering in this life. 
Suffering can be for our own good. It can bring God glory. Suffering helps conform us to the image of Christ. Suffering is one of God's refining tools, not a satanic attack on us. What the Bible says about Jesus in Hebrews 5.8, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from what? From the things he suffered. If Jesus had to face suffering, why do we think we're exempt? It's, it's finding the sufficiency of God in the midst of the suffering is the key. If you want to be like Christ, it might involve some suffering. The other thing that the Lifeway says is uh, challenging churches is the word tolerance. And tolerance is a bit of a deceptive word. I mean, we can be nice to people. We can put up with annoyances. We can put up with, you know, different kinds of thinking. But what tolerance wants us to do is never share the truth, never say that there's something actually right and wrong. The tolerance wants everything to be okay. Have no worries. Just fit in. Just get along. You know, without naming the church, there's a church in Ontario who had a pastor who was a, a, an avowed atheist. She was leading a church and she was an atheist. She didn't believe there was a God or that the Bible was actually true. Yet they still wanted her to be the pastor. I thought, wow, what's happened to God's church? They've tolerated everything so far that they believe and stand for nothing. You know, the, the world doesn't want us to quote the Bible because it's offensive to some people. We can't say that Jesus is the way to salvation because that's too exclusive. We don't actually get to share our faith with others because... You know, what's true for us may not be true for somebody else. It's really easy just to compromise, to, to tolerate, and to stand for nothing. And Paul is saying life's too short and eternity is too long for us to stand for nothing. We must stand for Christ. The last thing that Lifeway says uh, is a danger to the church is self-sufficiency. You know, I have been in some churches over the past years, they had fantastic facilities, they had amazing staff, they had lots of money, they had programs uh, all over the place, and, and they actually didn't need God anymore. They didn't need to pray. They, they took care of it all. Oh, we, we've got that taken care of. Well, we've got all of that running. We're, we're good to go. They, don't, they didn't actually need to depend on God. They weren't stepping out in faith. They were just running programs week by week by week and having a great old time. And uh, self-sufficiency, when we get to the place where we, we can handle it on our own, is a danger for the church. Because then something like heat wave hits, or ice storms hit, or hurricanes come and wipe out the coast, or tornadoes come 50 miles wide. And you realize, you know what, we can't handle things on our own. We actually do need God. And your child gets sick, and they're in the hospital, and you don't know what the problem is, you start to realize fairly quick that you do need God. So with Paul, we need to watch out for God's church. You and I and our kids and our parents and our friends, we have to stand uncompromisingly on the Word of God. And so we're going to learn some things through the book of Romans that are integral to our belief as Christians to help us to understand how to answer questions when, when we're asked. The, we have to Stand uncompromisingly and unflinchingly for the veracity of Scripture, its authenticity, its inerrancy, and its inspiration. So let me ask a few questions today as I wrap this up. Would you 
take an honest look and a prayerful look in your life this week and ask yourself if there's areas in your life that you have compromised your faith, that you've compromised in your walk with God. Maybe you've stopped praying about things because, you know, you just, you can handle it yourself. You know, I've got this, I'm good. I've got the training, the education, the means. You don't really need God. And then all of a sudden the crisis comes and then you're out of fellowship with him. You haven't been walking with him and, and you're in a very difficult place. Or maybe rather than taking time to research things, you've just given up on reading the Bible because sometimes it gets confusing or complicated. Yeah. Who can understand the Bible anyway? Why bother? Or maybe, maybe you've stopped talking about spiritual things with anyone. You just kind of feel that it's not your responsibility, that others can do that. What would Paul say if he was in our church today? If he sat down with you and had lunch, what do you think he might address in your life? Are you living a life of compromise or a life of purpose and meaning? Second question, can your life be characterized as a life of faith? Is there anything in your life that you actually have to depend on God for? Are you stepping out in ways um, that are expanding God's kingdom and depending on his strength and resources to come through and help you? Or are you just kind of coasting along? Third question is, is the vast majority of your time being spent building up your kingdom or God's kingdom? How much of your time and talents and treasure have you been engaged in God's work in the past year? I say actions always speak louder than words. We can dream up big dreams and say grandiose schemes, but unless we actually get our shoes on and go out the door and do something, it's hard for us to believe what you're saying. So the key is, the key is finding our identity in Christ, not just knowing who we are, but whose we are, and trusting that God knew what he was doing when he created us. Learning to thrive in him. I, I see Paul as, a, as like a father, worrying about his kids, hoping that they're going to make good choices, uh, wanting to strengthen them so that when they get buffeted by the storms of life, they're not going to fall. Wanting them to have a strong foundation. It's a pretty dramatic introduction to this book of Romans, but much is at stake, Right? I, I don't want to lose the next generation. I, I, want, I want the kids to, to see the excitement in their parents' life and in their grandpa's life and their grandma's and their uncles and aunts and their friends' life. There's an excitement about being a Christian. There's an excitement about having Christ in your life and following the Holy Spirit, empowering us to accomplish his will. It's good times with God. He's answering our prayers. People are getting saved. Marriages are coming back together. I've heard families over Christmas time, there's some really good reports. People were praying. Christmas is so stressful for a lot of families. And especially when you've got uh, differing views of what's going on right now in the world. And there's a lot of fear. But I've, I've had reports of families coming together and prayers being answered and forgiveness and healing amongst family friends who haven't been on speaking terms for months. God is at work. Or God answers prayer. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. People are coming to Christ. I, I don't know if you've been following what's happening in our kids' ministry. Um, we have once-a-month parties on a Wednesday night, I think the last Wednesday of every month. I think the first Wednesday, there's like 24 kids came, and then the next Wednesday, like 48 kids came. And the next Wednesday, there's like 80-some kids coming to our church, and, and most of them are new. And then they're, they're, they're bringing parents to the popcorn night. And the, God's at work. 
We're infiltrating our community. We're meeting the needs in our neighborhoods. We're reaching people. I think Paul would have a lot of thumbs up when he came to our church. I think he would probably have a few concerns, a few things that we need to focus on and look at, and that's why we're reading his book, to see if there's anything in here we need to really take note of in our own church. I'll just wrap up with this. In a couple of weeks, we are going to have a week of prayer and fasting. It's something I've done in in other churches, and it's just a focused time of seeking God. Every night there'll be an opportunity to come, have a short devotional study, and then spend the majority of time in prayer. Do you need prayer for any of your kids who are not walking with God? Come, and we will focus on them. Do you have a spouse who's not a believer? Come. Let's, Let's see what the power of God can do. Are you facing challenges in your life? Come, and let's pray together and see the power of God at work among us. It'll be an amazing time. And after that, I want to kind of put it all together, find out from you what God's been putting on your heart, what God's been impassioning you for. And then that will help guide our church in this coming year. Together, we will walk together and see God's power and his direction for MRAC. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for this day, for the beauty, uh, for opportunities to trust in you as we drove over the bridges and through the intersections for a chance to uh, come here to hear a word from you. Whatever, God, you want to do in our life, mine included, may your spirit guide and direct us to walk that pathway, to trust in you, to believe in you, to put our faith in you, and to live for you, that others seeing us would want exactly what's in our life. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, God, and I pray you will bless us as we continue to seek and serve you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.